So this Sunday, um, we will be continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and this Sunday, um, I will not be preaching, but we are super thankful and grateful to have um, Wayne Harris um, with us, who is going to be preaching this morning. As you guys probably know, Wayne has been and his wife, Patty, have been a part of our church for um, how long now? I can't even remember. Several months or something. Um, a year in April. Oh, I should have known that. Um, um, but Wayne is an incredible man. Um, he is incredibly generous. He's gifted. Um, he has oh, tons of experience when it comes to um, church and starting churches. And we are grateful to have him. One thing I so appreciate about um, Wayne and Patty is their willingness to roll up their sleeves and get involved in whatever. Um, and so he's helped with chairs. He's helping with Life Explored. They're helping with local outreach so much. They're just so enthusiastic about serving the Lord. And we are thankful to have you guys um, as part of our church family. And I'm incredibly excited to hear Wayne preach on a topic which he is a bit of an expert in. And so it all comes Kind of worked out the schedule um, that I wouldn't preach, but he would because he has tons of experience and knowledge on it. And so without further ado, I'm going to invite up Wayne Harris. Put your hands together for this man. I love it. Good morning. Um, it's an honor to be here this morning. Again, we're going to be looking at the 11th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at the first six verses. And so, as what is sort of becoming a tradition in our church, would you mind standing as we read God's Word? Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disasters may happen on earth. Now, if clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You can be seated. So... Once again, the preacher does not disappoint. <laughs> you read these proverbs that he uses in this chapter, and individually they seem to really make no sense at all. But when we sort of read them together, we begin to understand a little bit of what the preacher is trying to say. But before we work on really understanding and studying what God is sharing with us in this passage, I think it's important that we just pray for wisdom and knowledge now, I will have to caveat this. If the preacher was actually here today, he would remind you all that wisdom and knowledge is meaningless. So, uh, but I think we should pray for it anyway. Let's pray. 
So Lord, today, especially this Sunday, as we come before you and we're looking for a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word to make sense of the world in which we're living in today, we pray, Father, that you will speak to us. Give us wisdom to understand what it is that this passage has for us to understand, how we can use it. Father, I pray that we are not just hearers of the word, but today we will become doers of the word. That we will step out and take action on what you share with us. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a proverb, if you do not know, is a short or common saying or a phrase. This common saying or is it like a language tool that provides uh, some kind of advice or shares some kind of universal truth or imparts some kind of wisdom. So the preacher uses a number of proverbs in this passage where we're looking today. So uh, often a proverb is so familiar that a speaker can give the first half of the proverb and then the listeners can just sort of fill it in afterwards. So I'm going to see if this is true. I'm actually using a proverb as the title of our study today. So I'm gonna give the first half and see if you guys get the second half. And the only way I'll know that is if you say something. So let's give it a go. Nothing ventured? Oh, great. I did pick a common one. Um, so the proverb, nothing ventured, nothing gained, uh, means that if one does not risk, one cannot expect to achieve meaningful outcomes. The thought is that one must be willing to invest something and to risk failure if one wants to reap a reward. So I believe what this passage is addressing is that we need to venture out, risk investing, whether it's in a business adventure or even a kingdom building adventure, God has a word of advice for us today. So we're going to start in verse 1. It's a great place to start, right? And um, in this verse, this first proverb that the preacher uses, I think it's the most obscure proverb. I, I, it, at least it puzzled me a little bit. The whole casting your bread upon the water. And so that part was hard for me to understand. And then it goes on to say, for you will find it after many days. Now, the last part of this verse sort of gives me a little clue as to maybe what the preacher's talking about. Um, whatever it means to cast your bread up on the waters, we must first of all account for delays in our life. There's going to be delays in whatever we do. Whether you're investing in a company, whether you're investing in stocks, um, whether you're investing in sharing the gospel or supporting a ministry or missions, we have to account for the fact that the outcomes won't happen instantly as much as we might hope that they would. And so um, we, are, we are being told here that when we invest, it takes months and sometimes it maybe even take years um, for there to be some kind of a return on our investment. This reminds me of Isaiah 55, 11, where it says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. 
it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Therefore, what it's saying is the reward may take a long time in coming, but he promises that it will come. The return on his word is guaranteed. So that's the old phrase, you can take it to the bank. So let's look at the first part of this verse now, the casting your bread on the water. There's sort of three major thoughts around casting bread on the water. The first one is around philanthropy, about giving to the poor. That if you give to the poor and you share with others, that in time when you're in need, then that will come back to you. It's sort of a weak argument because nowhere in the passage does it really talk about giving to the poor. The, the second sort of interpretation of this verse is sort of a more literal approach. It's literally throwing bread on a water. And uh, that sort of is the understanding that the preacher's always been talking about meaningless gestures that we have. So throwing bread on the water, for those of you that have never done that, uh, if you were able to get it back after many days, I'm not really sure what that purpose would be. You just have a bunch of mush. And so this is where these people think that it's just a meaningless gesture. And once again, everything that we do in this world is meaningless. Now, the third and what I think is probably the most plausible interpretation of this scripture is the preacher talking about some kind of overseas trading, putting your bread, your products, your harvest onto ships and sending them out to sea uh, to <clears throat> trade elsewhere. Now, there's two reasons to think this. Douglas Miller, in his commentary, he points out how many economical matters are expressed in this passage. Like in verse 1, it says to cast your bread. So there's some kind of product there. Uh, in verse 2, it says a portion. So giving a portion, whether eight or seven or eight. And then even in verse 4, it talks about reaping and sowing and reaping. So there's this whole idea of some kind of economical com trade of commerce that's going on that seems to be more plausible than just philanthropy or meaningless gesture of throwing bread on the water. <clears throat> so a second uh, idea that sort of supports this interpretation is uh, in 1 Kings, Solomon himself was engaged in that very work of trade. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 9, 26 through 28, I'm not going to read it, I'm just sharing it. And then chapter 10 and 22, we read that Solomon himself put his bread, his goods, his tradable items onto ships, and he sent them overseas to trade. Now think about this. The unpredictable of overseas trading in this time. There, there's no GPS tracking system to let you know where your goods are in the process. There, there's no way of really knowing whether or not a transaction has taken place and the customers even received anything. You don't even know if you've made a profit for many days. Then the ship shows up and you still don't know until you find out, did anything really happen? Did you go somewhere? Did you find something? Were you able to trade? Where, did you have a shipwreck? What went on? So this is 
so true even today. Recently, I don't know if you've read about it or heard about it in the news, but ships made it all the way across the seas and got all the way to our shores and the LA Harbor couldn't unload it. Ships were backed all the way up to Huntington Beach. And so there they sat for many days. And I tell you, for those that were carrying produce, that was a long time. Now, what the preacher is saying though, is this is still some form of investment that is still worthwhile. Even though it's going to take many days, it will return to you. The preacher invites us to handle our spiritual business in the same way. How, he, how we invest in the kingdom of God with our talents and our time and our treasure will never be a waste. We may not see the results for many days, but there will be a return. So the next proverb in verse 2, it says, Give a portion of, to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disasters may happen on earth. Now, this idea of dividing portions into seven and eight is sort of the same as the modern day proverb, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So have you heard of that phrase? Okay, good. My wife tries to tell me that I have a lot of Midwestern terms, and so I didn't know if I was uh, giving you something that you could relate to or not. But uh, so this idea of not putting all your eggs in one basket is basically what today's investors call diversification. So I need your help. Why do investors diversify? Yeah, you get to talk back. Any ideas? Why do investors diversify? Great. I'm glad you all said it at the same time, but I didn't catch it all. So there was someone over here. So you're protected. So they don't lose in a big way. Like if one whole market goes out, great. Anyone else? Minimize risk. Absolutely. You know what? The preacher agrees with all of you. He actually says here, we do not know where disasters may happen. We don't know what the future holds. So we need to diversify. How do we diversify kingdom building? Well, you do more than one thing. You may say, I go to church every Sunday. Great, diversify. What? Yeah, well, I also give. Awesome, diversify. Well, what else can I do? And so we would love to share with you other things that you can do. Uh, so what the author is actually sharing with us is today is putting all of our eggs in one basket, especially when it comes to kingdom building, can be a very dangerous thing. We need to diversify. So that's the basics of investing. Now the preacher moves into roadblocks to investing. So in verses 3 and 4, the preacher warns of roadblocks to investing. If the clouds are full of rain, then they empty themselves and if the, and on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. So the preacher here is dealing with the uncertainties of farming. So when you're a farmer and you plant your crop, and if there's a huge flood and it literally wipes out, all the seeds that you've planted, it's for naught. Or if a tree falls and blocks you from 
planting or harvesting a field, then again, these are roadblocks that get in the way of investing. There's a number of people in the Bible that have faced uncertainties. I want to share a few with you. One is Abraham. You may remember him. Uh, God said, pack your bags and I'll show you where to go. It was the early form of GPS. Turn right here, turn left there. And he never knew where he was going next. And then on top of that, there was a contract made between him and God where he said, I'm going to make a huge nation out of you. And then years, decades went by and he never had a child. And then he finally was blessed with a son. And God said, sacrifice him. Uncertainties. Then there is Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers only to get a job where his boss's wife accused him of rape and he was thrown into prison with no certainty of early release. And when there was a glimmer of hope that release, the king's cupbearer forgot about him until the king had a dream. Naomi, she lost her husband. She lost both of her sons. At this time period, there was no guarantee really for widows. They had to rely on our trust family to take care of them. And she was living in a place where she had no family. So her and one of her daughter-in-laws left and went back to her homeland with no guarantees that they would be provided for. And then Job, who faced some substantial uncertainties because of the period of history that the calamity fell upon him, people really felt like if you have that much bad stuff happening to you, you're obviously an enemy of God. And so here's Job, who suffered the greatest loss a human can suffer, and it was unclear when that suffering would stop. Now, out of all these individuals from Scripture that faced major uncertainties, it seemed like the circumstances which, that, which were beyond their control would deter them. And yet those very uncertainties became God's certainties, that he would turn things out for good. Whenever we face uncertain times in our life, we must realize that as children of God, he's working in our favor. So if there's ever been a time of uncertainty, it's now. I just heard on the news that the doomsday research on all of the search engines has skyrocketed over the weekend, that people are just uncertain about what's going to happen with everything going on in the world right now. So many people just do not know. And so God's certainty is that he would turn things out for good. Whenever we face uncertainty times in our life, we must realize as children of God, he is working in our favor. We, every aspect in our lives are under his control. And every, even though multiple trials may hit any one of us at any one time, this will never cause us and our life to go out of control, even though it seems like it is. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus. Philippians 1, 6. And we know that those who love God will work, God, I'm sorry, for those of us who love God, 
All things work together for good for them that are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. I was reminded this week by a really good friend that there is no adventure without uncertainty. If you know what's going to happen, that's called a guided tour, okay? So if you're on an adventure with Jesus, you've got to realize, just like all these people throughout the Bible, there are going to be uncertain times in our life. And so what the preacher's warning us to do is not allow that to be a roadblock to investing in what he has called us to do. He who observes, the preacher then warns that there will be uncertainties. And then he goes on to say, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Here again, the farmer is watching the weather to find the best time to sow and reap. Now, now this is the age old question. When is it the best time to, and then you get to fill in the blank. When's the best time to get married? Man, I had so many young ladies at our work that were trying to get married during COVID. And I was just like, oh, it's on, no, it's off. No, no, it's on again, no, it's off. And then places wouldn't allow them to have their wedding. So then when is it the right time to buy a house? Obviously everyone in our country thinks it's right now. You know, when is it the right time to go back to school? When's the right time to switch jobs? We ask these questions all the time. The fear of picking the wrong time keeps many of us from moving forward. Now, you may remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Do you remember that? So a certain master was going to leave and he brought one worker in and he gave him five talents And then another worker came in, he gave them two talents. And then another one came in and he got one talent. What I love in scripture, it says, all according to their ability. So the master saw their ability and knew they had the ability to do something with that. So the one that had five talents, what did he do? He did exactly what the preacher said. He invested and he got five more talents. And then the one with two talents, he went out and he invested and he got two more talents. And the one with one talent dug a hole, put it inside there, buried it, and hid it until the master came back. So the master came back, and the one with five brought him ten. The one with two brought him four. And the one with one came back and couldn't get rid of it fast enough. And he says, Master, I knew you to be a man with expectations, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have, your, have that which is yours. So this person who the master saw, one talent of capability. Of, he missed the opportunity to meet his master's expectation of venturing out, of investing, because he feared his own ability to succeed. So that is what the preacher is concerned about here in verse 4. He warns the reader to not allow their fear to hold them or keep them from doing what God wants them to do. See, fear can block us from investing our time and our talent and our treasures 
And in doing so, keep us from reaping the blessings that he wants to provide to us. So, listen to this, because if there was a quiz at the end of the sermon, this would be on the quiz. Now, the warning... Now, the preacher throughout Ecclesiastes, and, and Obed did a fantastic job last week about the portrait of a fool. He continues to warn us about all the foolish actions that we take. Today in this passage... What his warning is, is the foolishness of inaction, of not taking action, of not investing. And so now here in verse five, we're going to see how we can overcome these roadblocks of uncertainty and fear. It says, as you know, as you do not know the way the spirit comes into the bones of the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The preacher is getting at a mystery that still is a mystery to us today. And that's how God is creating a soul-filled life. So we've discovered a lot of things. How cells multiply, how they separate and create more cells, and how eventually there's a whole strand of DNA that tells you if you're going to have hair when you're older or not, uh, if you're going to have gray hair, uh, if you're going to keep your hair. Um, it, it tells you what kind of skin you have, if you'll have freckles, or if it's going to be light or dark. And it's, you know, all of that, we sort of have a little bit of understanding. But when the soul enters that body, in the womb, when, when does that happen? What day in that whole birth process does that happen? And so what the preacher is saying here is he says, there is so much that we do not know. And the answer is we just really don't know. And the Bible doesn't give us much clarity either. For the information outside of this verse, really, is there's not much in the Bible to say this is when all of that happens. What the preacher is saying is we don't even know about how our soul, our very essence of our spirit came to be. So, so what do we know? Well, we know that God is great. Every pastor, every Christian is going to agree that God is great and greatly to be praised. And, and so here at King's Cross, we believe that this is sort of a central and all, uh, essential to all of life of how great God is and how he's all powerful. And so the unparalleled, incomparable, unequal, unraveled greatness, unrivaled greatness of God is utterly important to being on mission with God. If we don't understand how great God is and what he can actually do, then we can't really be on mission with him. He's going to be wanting to go places that we're not willing to go because we don't understand how great he really is. You see, seeing the greatness of God is so relevant today in all the mayhem and all the fighting and all the crazy behavior of world leaders. If we can see the greatness of God we wouldn't, pout, we wouldn't pout or get hurt easily. If we can see the greatness of God, we wouldn't get discouraged with all the evil in the world. If we can see the greatness of God, we wouldn't hold back from sharing the good news. 
If we can see the greatness of God, we wouldn't allow anything to keep us back from investing in seven or eight portion. No uncertainty, no fear. You see, what San Diego needs more than anything else from King's Cross is to see how great God is. It's not our size that's the obstacle. Uh, Jesus said, my power is made perfect in weakness. The issue is not smallness. The issue is, have you seen God's greatness? Have you been taken captive by his glory, his power, his knowledge, his love in such a way that the human power, human love, human knowledge no longer is appealing to you? Knowing and believing in the greatness of God is your impact on this city and it eliminates any roadblocks in sharing the gospel and doing the ministry of loving others. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. The work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man? that thou would visit him. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Psalms chapter 8, verses 3, 4, and 9. Today, we need to let God's greatness be reflected in our life. Then, and only then, you can overcome the roadblocks that stand in your way of investing into God's kingdom. So, the mysteries of greatness of God is a very humbling. Um, the preacher reminds us that there are just some things that we'll never really understand. And only God will know. And that requires faith on our part. We must trust him regardless of the situation. Believing that God is in control and that he knows what he's doing. Therefore, we don't need to ask, is this the right time? There is no better time to invest in the kingdom of God than today and on this earth. Right now, with everything going on, this is the best time. Okay, one last proverb in this passage. You will never reap if you never sow. So in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper. Is it this or that? Or whether both alike is good. Some people use the mysteries of God as a reason to give up. Why bother doing them? We don't know what the outcome really is going to be. S some might say, you know what? I've shared the gospel with people and who've chosen not to take any action. So why should I continue to share with others? There might be some people here that volunteer in the kids ministry. And they go, you know, based upon the children's behavior, I'm not really sure I'm having an impact. And then there's those that are setting up chairs and taking chairs down. And they're like, no one even notices unless we don't put them up or leave them out so people can sit on them. And then there's those that put words and music on the screen. And no one says a word unless we get the words and the song mixed up. And then they all notice. So why bother? The preacher here in verse 6 encourages us to take a different approach. Yes, we may never know the results that our ministry or our efforts will provide. 
But what's equally true is we will never reap if we never sow. John Rigney puts it this way, and it should be up on the screen. So work hard for the kingdom of God. Live boldly and creatively. Try something new. Be a spiritual entrepreneur. Even if you're not completely sure what will work, well, try everything you can to serve Christ in the world that desperately needs the gospel. Then leave the results to him, knowing that he will use your work in whatever way he sees fit. I just love that. You know, when you don't know what will work, Try something. Do something. When God pricks your heart this week, wherever you're at, when you are driving down the road, when you see something going on that you feel like there's an injustice and God's touching your heart to do something about it, try something. Don't be fearful that you're not going to do the right thing. Doing something is the right thing. Doing nothing is not investing anything into your life, other people's lives, or the kingdom of God. So the preacher is not just talking to farmers when he suggests sowing both night and day. He's talking to all of us. When you attend a community group and share what God is doing in your life, you're sowing. When you invite someone to Life Explore you're sowing. When you read your Bible, you are sowing. When you are at the dinner table with your children and you are thanking God, you are sowing. When you share God's word with friends or families or neighbor or coworkers or classmates, you are sowing. Jesus, if you never venture out to sow, you will never have the privilege and the honor of seeing the potential of the harvest. So as the worship team comes up, we are reminded to cast our bread upon the waters. Give a portion of seven or eight. In the morning, sow our seed. And in the evening, withhold not our hand. What God will do, you may never know. But if you never venture out to love and to share the love of Jesus with others, then you will never gain the opportunity to see God at work in the lives around us. And that, my church family, that is a true loss. This is the time that the church, where we take time to reflect on what God is sharing with us, and what I really want you to do is to have an honest conversation with Jesus and ask him, what do you want me to do? Not with any ands, ifs, or but, you know, but it has to be close by. It only can be on Tuesday because that's my only free day and da, 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 da. No, without any ands, ifs, or buts, God, what is it that you want me to do? Is there a ministry here at the church that I can lean into? Is there someone here at the church that needs me to stand beside them? You see, there's battles going on in this world today, but there's battles going on in the chairs right here in this room. 
And they need brothers and sisters that will stand alongside of them. So this passage today is a call to action. He's calling you to invest what you have, what little you have invested and see how he will bless it. I'm sure the people that gave the five loaves and the three fish didn't think it was a lot, but it fed thousands of people. Whatever you have, God will take and he'll multiply. Let's pray. Lord, today I'm hearing your voice on my life calling me to do everything in my power to love, to serve, and to care for this community that we live in, this world that we live in. And Lord, you are wanting more than our lip service, more than us coming here and hearing an okay message. You want us to do something with it, to apply it to our lives. Father, if every person in this room just did one thing this next week that they've never done before for your glory, we would see lives transformed. So today, Father, we give our willingness to you. We just ask you to allow us to obey you in this time that you are calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.